Good morning. Uh, a few things on the top. Um, one, I, I have a scratch on my face. And just to save, just to save any more questions, uh, this is a result of my son, uh, who in the midst of one of his tantrums got the upper hand. Um, and so uh, I let my guard down for a split second. And uh, it looks far worse than, than it feels. Um, second thing, how fun was last night? Who was here last night? So yeah, that was my first even song, and what just a sweet time of celebration. Uh, so I, I, I want to say thank you to everyone who helped make that happen. To if you're in the band, thank you. If you were a volunteer, thank you. Uh, if you see Rebecca Fitzgerald, who I'm not going to embarrass, but she's sitting right there. Um, uh, she coordinated that whole thing, so please say thank you to her. Um, so fun, so fun. Uh, the, the, the third thing, uh, and, and I think the most, most exciting thing, uh, is uh, some of you may know that for several years now, uh, Park Church, we've, we've participated in something called Park Gives, which is where every year we, we set aside a percentage of, of our budget uh, money, and, and we designate that uh, with the purpose of giving it away to, to something or someone or some organization outside of our church. It's a very tangible demonstration of generosity. Um, and, uh, and some of you also are aware that there is a local organization called Habcor, uh, who does phenomenal work among people struggling with homelessness in Monmouth County and Ocean County. Uh, we've, we've recently served with them, actually, I, and and I, I want to share that this last week, um, Matt, Pastor Matt, myself, uh, and Brian Lutzma, as a representative of the Park Serves team, uh, we met with some of the people from Habcor. And on behalf of Park Church, uh, we presented them with a check for $10,000, which is amazing. There we are. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited about this for several reasons. First of all, uh, the work that they are doing to serve those who have come upon very tough times is work that is so close to God's heart. Uh, the, the heart of God is, is this idea of hospitality, of making space. But this is what God does with us, right? Making space and inviting people into that space who do not have space of their own. And that, that's the heart of what this organization does. And so to be, able, to be able to say, as a demonstration of God's generosity toward us, to be able to say, hey, this, we believe the work that you're doing matters and that it's so close to God's heart. And so we want to thank you with this gift. And, and may this continue to happen, right? It's so beautiful. And so we got to sit down with them and, and, and we prayed with them and we thanked them. And um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm, excited about, I'm excited about that. I, I also just wanna say thank you. Say thank you to you all. The reason why we are able to do something like this is because of your generosity. Your faithful generosity in the past 
your faithful generosity in the present and as we continue to look for ways to, to seek the welfare of the city, to look for ways to embody God's generosity to those around us, um, your continued generosity. So, so thank you. So as you know, we're, we're in the midst of a, of a series called Generous God, Generous People. And, and the basic idea is that uh, the God whom we see in Jesus is a God who, who so loved the world that he gave. A God who in the core of his very being is generous. And, and so what we're doing this month is exploring the relationship between this God who is so generous and and what it therefore means to be people who have been made in his image. And I want to begin with a confession, because I did something Friday night that I've never done before. Um, and you all are so curious right now. <laughs> I, I was reading over my uh, sermon outline that I had spent time preparing the whole week. Uh, and, and as I was kind of preparing and reading over this outline and praying, um, this one story of Jesus, which was not the sermon text, just kept coming to my mind over and over and over again, to the point that in, I, at one point, instead of like preparing for my sermon, I found myself just reading this story over and over again, and I could not get it out of my mind. And so I, I broke a cardinal rule of preaching, which is I took, I took my outline and I threw it away, and uh, I said, this, this is the story that we have to talk about this morning. This is the text that has to be what we talk about. If we're talking about generosity, we have to talk about this story of Jesus. Um, and so I, I want to begin this morning by simply just walking through this text with you all and offering a few reflections on it. This this story comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. We're looking at verses 41 through 44. This is God's word for God's world. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Let me hit the pause button here for just a minute and, and point out something that may or may not be obvious. Um, isn't it weird that Jesus is just sitting there watching people give? Does that strike you as odd? Maybe, maybe it's just me. But he's just sitting there watching people give. I mean, we, we live in a world today where that would be a very strange and odd thing. I mean, we, I know we, we don't pass a plate here at Park Church. We do have giving boxes on the walls, which is one way of giving. Um, but wouldn't it be weird if I just sat over there <laughs> and just watched that box and anyone who came by, I just, my eyes were on you, like, that would be weird. Like, we, we live in a context, a cultural context, in which we, it's normative for us to give in the privacy of our own home or on our phone. And yet, 
That was not the context in which Jesus gave. The, the context in which Jesus is living, giving was a very public thing. And here what we find is Jesus in the temple, in the center of religious and worship life for the ancient people of Israel. Uh, and in the temple, you had these big giving boxes, these bins strategically placed all around. And, and what, what this meant is that giving was a very visible thing. It was a public act of worship for the ancient people of God. And so it might seem odd to us that Jesus was just sitting there observing people as they worshiped God through their generosity. Um, but it wouldn't have been weird then. And, and not only was this a visible thing, but it was auditory as well. Because people did not give light paper checks. They didn't drop dollar bills in this bin. They dropped coins. You could hear it. And so as you sat there and watched people coming, you could pretty much gauge someone's generosity simply by listening. Some, some people came and you could hear clink, 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 think, wow, that's a, that's a lot. And then some people came and it might just be one clink, maybe two. Clink, clink. Right? And, and in this story, as we read it, what we find is this contrast. Right? We're told that, that Jesus watched many rich people throw in large amounts. But then this poor widow came. This poor widow, and she put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Now, I remember years ago reading this story, and, and a thought that came to mind when I read this part was, like, why, why isn't Jesus here complaining about the, uh, what we might call, corrupt, systemic, economic injustice of a situation where this poor woman is giving everything that she has to this religious institution? Right? Why, why is that not what Jesus says next? And I don't know if you've ever thought that. Maybe you have. Like, like there, there's something that seems off about this scene. It seems like the appropriate thing at this point for Jesus to do would be to call out the temple for its, uh, for its economic injustice, for what it had become. Now, what's interesting about that and what I... What I I think someone pointed out to me, was that if you just read one chapter earlier in the Gospel of Mark, this is actually exactly what Jesus does when he comes to the temple. Jesus has much to say, much to say to this religious institution, which was supposed to be a house of worship for all nations that had become a, a system of economic oppression took advantage of the poor. So Jesus is not quiet about that. But, but he also doesn't say it because that's not the point that Jesus wants to make in this story. Right? That is not at all the point that Jesus wants to make. Listen to this. So Jesus is observing these people who come and put in a ton of money and then this poor widow who comes and just gives a few cents. 
The contrast couldn't be any clearer. And then we read this. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. See, they gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. All she had to live on. Why is this not a story about economic injustice? You see, for Jesus, this woman is not the victim of the story. She's the hero. This woman is not the victim of the story. She does not get our pity. She is the hero. She gets our admiration. And here's the big idea, and it's simple, and the story captures it perfectly. In God's economy, generosity is not measured by the amount of money, but rather by the degree of sacrifice. In God's economy, generosity is not measured by the amount of money that we give, but by the degree of sacrifice. It's not so much as important the cost of a gift, but rather what it costs you. Now, I don't know about you, but when, I, when this reality hits me, there's a sense in which I find it comforting. And I find this comforting because what this means is that generosity is for everyone. Living a generous life is for every individual. It does not matter what socioeconomic bracket you belong to. You are invited to live generously. And it does not so much have to do with the amount that you give as it does the degree of sacrifice. Uh, several years ago, I, uh, I met a neighbor of mine. His name was, and probably is still, Nick. <laughs> I, I haven't checked, I don't know. His name was Nick. And I uh, got to know Nick a little bit and invited Nick to our community group, which he then joined. And then he began to come on Sunday mornings to worship. And, and a seed of faith in Jesus that had been planted so many years ago took root and began to sprout in Nick's life. And, and he all of a sudden found himself surrounded by a group of people who imperfectly uh, loved Jesus and loved him. And another thing you have to know about Nick is that his life was a mess. I mean a mess. He, uh, he was a recovering drug addict, and it showed in many different ways. Uh, his physical health was constantly on the brink. It was a daily challenge. But more than anything, Nick's financial life was a mess. And we, as a church, we had actually helped him in many different ways. Um, but, but his life was just a mess, including financially. And, and yet, as he found himself more and more immersing himself in the life of our church, spending time with people who were acquainted with the grace of God, 
the grace of God began to work in his life. And, and I'll never forget uh, one Sunday morning before our worship gathering, uh, he ran up to me and he was excited. He's like, Michael, you'll never guess what I just did. I was like, oh, I, you're probably right. <laughs> Tell me. He's like, I just, I just made an offering. He's like, I just, I just gave three dollars, and and I celebrated with him. I was so excited for him, not because his three dollars was going to make or break the budget of our church. You see that, that's not at all what this was about. But you see, he, because he had found himself in a community of Jesus followers, and, and because he began to learn the way of Jesus, God in his grace was, was beginning to have his way in him. And he, he began, simply by being in relationship with other followers of Jesus, he began by saying, you know what, I'm going to just, I'm going to start with 2%. And I'm, I'm just going to give 2% of whatever I make. And, and he still, I want to tell you, he still had a lot of mess in his life. And yet this one thing was so meaningful to him. And, and at the time, $3 was 2% of his last paycheck. But do, do you see, though? Do you see how beautiful it is that, that in God's economy, generosity is not measured by the amount, but rather by the degree of sacrifice, which means it's for everyone. Generosity is a life that God invites every single one of us to live. And I find that comforting. I also find it unsettling. I find it actually quite unsettling. And it, and it has to do with this word sacrifice. Right? Uh, because it, the word sacrifice means something dies. Sacrifice means something dies. It means something is lost. It means saying no to something. And that is a very uncomfortable thing. And, and I think in particular for those of us who find ourselves in the midst of, uh, of a hyper-consumeristic culture, I find this even more challenging, extremely challenging. And, and one of the problems that we have when we, when we talk about the consumer culture in which we live is that because we live in it, it's hard for us to actually see its distinctive features. Uh, in other words, um, there's an ancient Chinese proverb that goes like this. If you want to know what water is like, don't ask a fish. Right? Because how in the world would a fish know what water is like? They don't know what dry ground is. They don't know what the open air is. And so a fish would not be able to actually describe the distinctiveness of the water in which it's swimming. And so like fish in water, it can be difficult to actually see the consumerism that is all around us. I've mentioned this before, but it's worth mentioning again. In the US, uh, the United States, our, our country, comprises 5% of the world's population. And yet we consume around 25% 
of the world's resources. Uh, the, the late great uh, writer on Christian spirituality, Eugene Peterson, described the consumer culture in which we live this way. In his book titled The Jesus Way, he said, we Americans have developed a culture of acquisition, an economy that is dependent on wanting more, requiring more. We have a huge advertising industry designed to stir up appetites we didn't even know we had. We are insatiable. Take shoes, for example. Uh, when my grandpa was alive and when he grew up, he grew up during the Great Depression days, uh, everyone around him owned two pairs of shoes, right? You have your shoes that you wear six days a week, and then you have a pair of shoes for Sunday. Why would you need another pair of shoes? Now, let me just say, I own way more than two pairs of shoes, right? And the reason why I say this is not to say you shouldn't own more than two pairs of shoes, but I do say this to try to make us aware of the oddness of the context in which we live, both when compared to many other places in the world today and especially when compared to the way most people have lived throughout world history. We live in a hyper-consumer culture. We are surrounded every day by voices, by messages, by forces at work, and their job is to, to tap into our desires. Their job is to get us to believe the lie that we need more. It's the lie of more. And so I mention none of this to in any way induce guilt, but rather to ask this question, and I think this is a key question, especially for the church in North America today. How in the world do we live sacrificially generous lives in a culture of such rampant and pervasive consumerism? This is not a question that we're going to answer fully and satisfactorily this morning. But, but I, will, I will say two things. And the first is this. One, one way that we can live sacrificially generous lives in the midst of a culture such as this is, is by practicing what a good friend of mine calls the art of enoughness. The art of enoughness, where, where we grow in the ability to know, to discern when we just have enough. And the reality is, is this, this is an art, it's not a science, it's, it's not something that I can actually police in your life, nor is it something that we should look at one another in and, and pass judgment on. It's, it's something, it's an art form that we all have to discern for ourselves. And it'll look different for everyone. And so, for example, I, I have a, a good friend who he grew up in a family that had a lot of money. And, and this is a family who is probably one of the most generous families that I've ever met. And when he was young, when he and his sisters reached a certain age, uh, Christmas began to look a little different for them. And his grandparents in particular, uh, what they decided to start doing is they, they 
realized, you know what? Uh, our grandkids, they probably, they're probably getting enough Christmas presents. Right? So we're going to give them something different. And every year, starting at a certain age, they gave them for Christmas an envelope with a ton of cash in it. But it wasn't for them. It was for them to decide how to be generous. And so every year, my friend and his sisters got this cash, and they got to decide how they were going to give it away. And so sometimes they might research different organizations that they resonated with. They, they may one year decide to give some of it to their church. Uh, as they're driving down the road, they may see someone asking for money, right, panhandling, and may want to give it to that person. Now, now even as I say that, I think, well, wait a second, That's, uh, that gets a little complicated, doesn't it? But, but you see, because... Because my friend was a part of a family who practiced the art of enoughness, at an early age, he began having those complicated conversations with his family. Right? Because his parents and his grandparents wanted to lay tracks for them. They wanted to begin to train their children to think and to ask the question, how might we become people who live sacrificially generous lives? And that's one way of how practicing the art of enoughness might look. I have another friend. Uh, apparently, I have a lot of friends. Uh, I, I have another friend. I, not all my friends are this awesome, by the way. But I, I have another friend. <coughs> and when he got married, somewhere around 10 years ago, uh, he and his wife, they, they gave away 10%, uh, what's traditionally called a tithe, 10% of all of their income. And they made a commitment early on uh, to every year increase that percentage by 1%. I think they're right around 20 right now. And, and e even as I say that, I, I think, I'm like, well, like, is that sustainable? <laughs> like, what happens? Like, at, at some point, right, it's, it, it's got to it's gotta break down, right? If it does, how cool is that? Like, think about that. What an amazing problem to have. Honey, I, you know, I don't know if we're going to be able to swing 48% this year. We might have to bump it back down to 47, right? <laughs> I mean, how awesome is that? What a beautiful picture of generosity. And, he, and here's what this means for them. Every year, they have to evaluate how they themselves are practicing the art of enoughness, if they want to keep this goal in their life, it forces them to do this. One of the ways that we, one of the ways that we live sacrificially generous lives in such a rampant and pervasive consumer culture is by practicing the art of enoughness. One other way, and I'll, I'll end with this before, before leaving us with a question is this, we, we remember, we remember that first and foremost, the God of the Bible does not simply demand sacrificial generosity from us. He offers it himself. 
that the God who invites us into this kind of life is also a God who, when we look at Jesus, displays a degree of sacrificial generosity that can never be matched. Because when we look at Jesus, we see one who, who looked at the world, the world in need, who looks at you and me and decided to give everything that he had, everything, so that we might know him and so that we might, by his spirit living within us, increasingly bear his image, the image of the one who is generous in his very being. Let, let me end with this this morning. If this idea of sacrificial generosity seems overwhelming, let's make this simple. Like, what would, not, not what would this look like in 10 years for you, but what would simply the next step in this direction, what could this look like for you, just the next step toward this vision of sacrificial generosity? Maybe for you, the next step toward sacrificial generosity has nothing to do with giving anything away. Maybe you find yourself in a place where it's difficult to actually live within your means and you find yourself spending more than you're actually taking in. And so maybe that very next step for you means seeking financial counsel, in some way seeking help to begin to turn the trajectory of your financial life so you can start moving in a different direction. Maybe for you, uh, maybe this idea of, of sacrificial generosity looks a little different. Maybe giving for you in some way in the past has been something haphazard or something uh, that's occasional where you, you see something that compels you and, and so you beautifully so want, want to give to it. Maybe, maybe the next step is, you know what, I'm, I'm going to start giving regularly and you pick a number, right? Wherever that, that gift goes, whether it's your church, whether it's to some other organization, whether it's to people in your lives who are in need, whatever that might look like to you, I just want to ask, what might the next step of generosity look like? I want to end this morning with, uh, with the same way that I started, which is, which is by reading this story that that still grips me every time that I read it. And I just want to invite you to, to look at this image and, and to let these words wash over you. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Will you pray with me? Father, you have been so generous to us. You lavish 
your grace upon us. The very air that we breathe, the food that we eat every day, the relationships we enjoy, and ultimately, the very gift of your Son, the gift of salvation, the hope of eternal life that starts now. As we continue to gaze at at your Son, Jesus, and the gift that you've given us in him, we ask that you would You would call us, you would summon us to take whatever that next step is for us. That we would understand both in our heads, our hearts, and with our hands that that in your economy, the economy of the kingdom, uh, generosity is not measured by the amount, but by sacrifice. Father, that we might follow your son to such an extent that this would characterize our lives. Uh, we, We love you, Father, because you first loved us, and we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of your Spirit. Amen.